0: He said, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. We all want the desires of our heart, but most of us don't delight ourselves in the Lord so much. We delight ourselves in other things, in our career, in our family, in our home, whatever. But He said, you know, He said it best in Matthew chapter 6. He said, if you'll seek first, My method of operation, my way of doing things, all the things that the world's chasing after will be added onto you, but we get caught up and deceived by the devil into chasing the things. But my Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 that the blessings will come upon me and overtake me. That means they're coming up from behind. That means I'm not looking up ahead for them. What am I looking at? Jesus, the author, the finisher of my faith. Look to him. So I can tell you from some of the dumb mistakes we've made. You know, we made a lot of dumb mistakes over the years, and I don't mind sharing them because if they'll help you, <laughs> save you from making them. Like a few years ago, we hired a CFO, financial officer, because we were going to cut our expenses, and it, we really did. We cut our expenses by a couple hundred thousand bucks. And in the process, we forgot what God said. We forgot that he that he'd supply all of our needs. We forgot well, how about James chapter three and verse two he said, in James three and verse two, it reminds me of when I was working at the at the Halifax shipyards, and I had resigned from being production planner. First off, I resigned from being village idiot, and then I resigned years later from being production planner in charge of the whole whole deal. And when I resigned, the general manager put me in in place. In a place. He said, I'm going to set you in, in charge of the burning shop. Well, it's all done by computer. So all you got to do is get everybody set up, and then you can do whatever. So I'd get everybody going by four thirty, five o'clock. And by 5.30, I'd be sitting down on the dock, dangling my legs, watching the sailboats go up and down the harbor. And I learned something from watching them, too, that you can, you can tack a ship, and, and turn it wherever you want it to. So, but in James chapter one, verse two, it says, uh,
1: "In many things we offend all.
0: If any man does not offend in his words, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle his bridle his whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and they obey us." And we turn about their whole body, but when we hired the CFO, what we were doing was we were going to we were going to turn the horse by picking him up and going turning him around. You can't pick up a fifteen hundred pound horse and turn him around, but you can sweat for a couple of years trying to do it and then finally, a little light comes on. Do you remember that you can have what you say? Do you remember? that the word of God is powerful, that only by your words you're justified, only by your words will you be offended. So stop trying to turn the horse. There's a little three-inch bar called a bit. You put in a horse's mouth, and that big 1,500-pound horse, you put a little pressure on the tongue. Put a little pressure on the tongue. Put a little pressure on the tongue, and the big horse turns. But as long as you keep trying to turn that thing by yourself, enjoy yourself. But you're going to have a lot of sweat and a lot of tears. So you don't have to do. He provided sweatless victory, but we always have a better plan. I, I went, uh, I met, had an hour and a half meeting with the head cardiologist on Wednesday. And um, that's a miracle all by itself. But anyway, she said, bring all your pills. So she said, I want to hear you rattling when you're coming down the hall. So I thought, well, this is really good. She's going to get rid of some of this medication that makes me a little loopy. And so I, I went in and she started going through them. She said, you haven't used this since August. This, she started pulling them up. And, you know, it was, it was um, she said, I'll tell you what. She said, when you get a
1: medical degree, you can help me.
0: And how I related that to church was you can stay home and watch TV. You can stay home and watch Christian television. But until you get under an anointed pastor, it's just not going to work for you. I said, it's just not going to work for you. I know you can Google, you know, I was Googling my medical information. Well, you can punch so many preachers in now and watch them on little clips and let the willow monster down. <laughs> So you, 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 can, you, you, know, you can do all those things, but there's something about a, a corporate anointing. There's something about getting in here with your brothers and sisters. So get up and get to church, man. Sometimes we think God makes suggestions. And so we take the easy things, right? What do you do with Philippians 4, 6? Be anxious for nothing. That was not
1: a request. That's a commandment.
0: For those of you that don't know where we're moving, we'll be out of here, well, they say the end of April, but we believe the end of March. And so, do you know where you're going? Yeah, we're going somewhere God's got better for us than what was here. We've been here almost four years, and whenever he moves us, it's a move up and a move over and it's purpose and plan and pursuit. So we're, we're really excited about it. Matter of fact, I'm looking at it as a brand new start. I'm looking at it as health coming back speedily and just going for it, going for it. Because, because I, I realize it's kind of like when you read, remember Luke, I think we're going to go everywhere in Luke chapter four, Jesus stood up in verse 18 and 19 and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal a brokenhearted, to proclaim deliverance to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty the bruised, and to preach the year of Jubilee, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, but he didn't finish the chapter. He's quoting from chapter 61 of Isaiah. And the next verse says, in the day of the vengeance of our God. We're not living in the day of the vengeance of our God. We're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. I know there's weird things going on, you know. Uh New York got buried in snow, the biggest snowstorm ever. And people will come on and tell you, that's God's judgment. Is that <laughs> what you need to know is Romans 8 says all the creation is groaning waiting for a manifestation of the sons of God, that the earth is in travail. The earth is in birth pangs. The earth is made up of the same stuff you are. The earth feels the sin, feels the pain that's going on. The earth, are you, what are you preaching now, that the earth has feelings? Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You, you, you can do with that, that whatever you want. All I'm saying is what you see happening on the earth today is not the judgment of the Lord. The church goes in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. He talks to the church for three chapters and in chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, come on up here, and I'll show you what will happen hereafter. And the church comes back again in Revelation chapter 19. So for seven years, you're going to be sitting here. You're not going to be in the day of the wrath of our God. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And so the bad things that you see happening, he, he said, you'll have wars, rumors of war. He, he told you all of these things would happen. But then he said, as James said to me coming down the hall today, look up. Not down, not down at Facebook or your uh, smartphone, dumb phone. Look up. Look up for your redemption draws near. Get excited about the hour that you're living in. Not, not oh God, what's going to happen next? The church's finest hour <laughs> This is dog chow's finest hour. Do you remember that commercial? <laughs> the big old bulldog. <laughs> well, this is the church's finest hour. And all you got to do to get in on it is break every chain. All you got to do to get in on it is delight yourself in him. Don't be distracted by what's going on in the world. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will. He said, I'll give you, he said, I'll give you your heart's desire. Just get happy in me. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's amazing what he said. It's amazing what he said in Peter chapter 1. When he was talking, he said, uh, he said, he said, rejoice with exceeding joy. Though now you go through manifold temptations, tests, and trials. So that sounds to me like every time you praise the Lord, it's an act of faith. You don't wait till things are going good. Right in the middle of it all, you say, I need to rejoice with exceeding joy. Though now I may be going through manifold temptations, tests, and trials. I know everybody in here is going through some tests and trials. I, I know it. I, I don't need to interview you. I know in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The world overcomer is living in the inside of you. And if a demon can break chains, a man full of the Holy Ghost and turned
1: over to Him is unstoppable. Hallelujah. I wish I remember, would remember
0: what I was going to preach today. I, <laughs> I lost it somewhere. Oh, I know. Ecclesiastes 1 9.
1: Thank you, Lord. And you know the verse, he said, the thing that has been is the thing that shall be.
0: And there's nothing new under the sun. Your circumstances are not new. Your situation is not new. Matter of fact, Peter said, these same afflictions are being worked out in your brethren in the world. That's what he said in Peter 5.5. 5. He, said, he said, these same troubles, the same troubles that you're having, they're not unique then what should I do, Lord? Cast all of your care upon me because I care for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as the roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour, but he can't devour you if you're carefree. Then he can't devour. It's like, you know, one of the names for the devil is the Lord of the dunghill. Well, so the, the, the polite way is to say the Lord of the flies but the flies are atta- attracted to poop. And so the Lord of the dunghill. So if you're not giving off a stick, este- <laughs> if he can't smell your attitude, <laughs> if it's an attitude of gratitude, sober and vigilant, you're ever said the devil, seeking whom he may devour, but you resist him. How? Steadfast in the faith. Knowing that I'm going through stuff. Marie's going through stuff. Paul's surely going through. Everybody's going through stuff. The key is we're walking through the valley. We're not building a house there. We're not camping out there. We might be going through things, but he said, he set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That's not in heaven, people. That's here and now. Presence in the presence. Come on. Hallelujah. I Look to, to restore your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. He said, I'll restore your soul. I'll cause you to lie down. Pastures of plenty,
1: Mm. besides still waters,
0: peaceful that will keep him in perfect peace. Isaiah 26 3 says, Keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed upon me. When you fix your mind upon me, peace is your answer. Righteousness in the Holy Ghost, peace in the Holy Ghost, joy in the Holy Ghost, and it's joy unspeakable and full. Of glory. The glorified risen one is living on the inside of you. My Bible says that when he appears, we'll also appear with him in the glory. That's Colossians chapter three. You'll appear with him in the glory. There's a glorification going on inside of you. Second Corinthians 3, 18 says it's a metamorphosis that you're being changed from glory to glory into the image of the son. There's a metamorphosis taking place right now. How many of you know you can't see it? How many of you know you might be in the cocoon? You, you know you might have been the larva crawling around on the earth, and then and then you just when you th- now you're inside in a place of darkness, and you can't you can't see any way out. But if you just struggle in there and push in there, you'll develop the strength that when you come out as a fl- a butterfly, you'll be able to take off. Reminds me of a story: a guy that was trying to help the monarch butterfly. He was raising them. He decided to cut through the through the whatever you call that. What do you call that? Yeah, cocoon is another name. Anyway, so he, would, he put a little razor cut in, and they would come out, and they looked just like every other monarch butterfly, except for they couldn't fly. They didn't have any strength, because the strength comes in the struggle. The strength comes in your struggle.
1: Hallelujah. I don't like this, God.
0: No, but it's kind of like if you look at some verses, they don't require any change. But when I read Philippians 4 6, where it says to be anxious for nothing or to not be in anxiety about anything, that requires me to do some changes. A change added that, you know, some verses are so easy and other ones are like, oh, do I have to do this one too? But think about it. Just think about it for a minute.
1: If you really. Get rid of all your anxious thoughts.
0: What a wonderful day this could be. None of these things move me, Paul said. None of these move, things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. That I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry that he gave me. That's a man that you read his life. As a matter of fact, he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, I'm a pattern. And when you look it up in the Greek, it's protos. I'm a prototype of this new covenant. And I'll be going through all kinds of things that you'll never have to go through to prove that this plane will fly. And he did it. You think about what he went through. And then he would have the nerve to say, these light afflictions. Which are but for a moment, he had his eye on something else. These light afflictions, we were just about for a moment, are nothing. Like, that's a revelation that doesn't come out of your intellect. You get the revelation that, hey, something good is going on in the inside of me. Romans 8.28 really is the truth that I'm called according to his purpose and all things are working together. Even though things are against me, they're working together for my good. Something good is going to happen. That's what, every, every time something bad happens, you need to get that idea. Something good is going on here. Something good is going on here. We had a flat tire on the way to church today. Something good happened. First thing that happened was we called CAA, and the guy that showed up was Paul Emberley's son. Paul, like, you know, if, Joe, you know, Paul, you know, totally awesome. He's been here a few times. He's radical. He revolutionized the gym over there. He, star, he started the Star League of Awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was his son. He said, he said, oh, yeah, I recognize you. He said, I've been to your church before. And he said, my dad and mom watch you on TV. So you never know who's watching, right? What else did we learn? We learned that like Nancy's got this infinity car now, and it's like, <sighs> it's too much for me. So she can have it. No, it's so low you feel like you're dragging your bum on the road anyway after driving a jeep. But anyway, they, they he came to fix it and there was no spare tire, so we didn't know what was going on here until Dan Eddy called and said uh, the Infinity doesn't have a spare tire. It's made so that you can drive them on flat.
1: Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a wow, isn't it? Yeah. We can drive ourselves on flat too, let me tell you
0: something. Hallelujah. The favor of God. The favor of God is on this church. I don't know if you know it yet or not, but the favor of God is on this church. It's been there forever. We've been up and down and over and out and all over the place. And
1: we're still standing. Ah. Uh,
0: I walked out into the lobby and they were talking about uh, Tom Petty, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. If you don't know who they are, they did a great halftime show a couple of years ago in the NFL, but they've been around for a long time. I knew his story because he became famous because his dad was a jerk. No, no, it worked out for good because his dad said, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. And you can use that as to, to, put your, to, to live in the inferiority and keep yourself down, or you can use it and say, that's not who I am. That's not who you are. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His DNA is flowing in your bloodstream. Hallelujah. In all these things, you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in your circumstances. I'll not be moved by circumstance or what I feel or see because God's word is working mightily in me. God's at work. You know, know where the sign says construction ends and it's a lie because it never does? (sighs) Well, that's... That's the way it is in you too. Only in your, your sign says construction never ends. You're being changed from glory to glory. I'm going to keep working on you and working in you because I love you. You're the apple of my eye. Hallelujah. God would say one thing to you. He would say, I love you. If it's, it would say another thing. He said, he'd say, I'm not mad at you at all. He said, I hated sin so much I killed my son just so that you wouldn't have to deal with me. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God to make him happy to kill his son because he loves you so much. Hug yourself a little bit. Go, go, mm, mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> No, I'm serious. You ought to be hugging yourself all the time. Oh, God, you're so good. Let me see if I can find something on my phone to talk about here. I don't know. Okay, yeah, we can do that. Let's go to 2 Kings. We were there already. 2 Kings chapter 2. We've been there a couple
1: or three times. And we found out that that's
0: where um, Elijah and Elisha crossed Jordan and Elisha came back in the power of the Holy Ghost and revolutionized the nation. We found out that it's also in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus went into that same wilderness of Moab, he came back and conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave. The champion that crossed over, right? So, So let's just take a look at that for a minute, okay? I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. (laughs) Let's go to Kings chapter 7.
1: That's my hour.
0: 2 Kings chapter 7 is a very familiar story to me. It may, may be that you've never heard it before, and I pray that you'll hear it for the very first time today. As soon as I can find it in my Bible. I know it's in there somewhere. Did I say 2 Kings 7? I was right next to it and I turned away. Yeah. 2 Kings 7. And again, remembering that the thing that has been is the thing that'll be. There's nothing new under the sun. Even Moses, the Bible says in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, that the number of his days were 120 years. And as I was keen, his natural force was not abated. That's 120. If you add the 50 50 to that, it's another jubilee. It's another, at the end of 6,000 years, your eye will be keen and your natural force will not be abated. Mm. Back in Genesis 6.3, you know, that's when he first used the, the analogy. He said, uh, uh, my spirit will not always strive with man, but the number of his days will be 120 years. And 120 years later, the flood came. But then in Acts chapter 2, there was 120 people in the upper room. And when you go to, to, to Joshua chapter 6, they marched around Jericho for six days. This, it's key that you take that 120, the thing that has been, and advance it into the thing that shall be. So if there's 120 people in the upper room and the Holy Ghost was poured out and 8,000 people got city, saved in one city in one week, 8,000 people, and went, how can these things be? How big is your God, I guess, would, would be the question. But anyway, there's a good example right in
1: here in 2 Kings 7. Say this
0: with me. Today is as broke as I'll ever be. Elisha said, Hear the word of the
1: Lord. Tomorrow about this time,
0: there'll be plenty and it'll be cheap. Now, they were in a family. We're not going to go through chapter 6 and see the mess that they were in. But there was no food in the city. They were, you know, eating dogs, cats, whatever they could find. Uh, for those of you that love your pets, I no insult meant. But if you get hungry enough, it's amazing what you'll do. Anyway, so they were in there doing that. And, um, but, but you've got to remember Proverbs 13.22 says, The wealth of the wicked is laid up in store for the just. Have you seen it in your pocket yet? Can you see it with your eye of faith, though? Do you expect that it's coming to you? Coming to to your house? Coming to make you the head and not the tail above and never underneath? Come on. As Ashton would say, come on, come on. (laughs) I missed you. Come on, come on today. (laughs) Praise and worship was excellent. What was really special to me, I mean, I love Stephen, but watching Willow hop here, knowing what she's been dealing with, it's like, that's breaking a chain. that's flying over hell on a rope and spitting in the devil's eye. Yeah. So he said, tomorrow there'll be plenty and it'll be cheap. Verse two, the Lord who on whose right hand the king lead, answered the man and said, behold, the Lord, if he... If he opened up the windows of heaven, might this thing be? And he said, behold, you'll see it with your eyes, but you'll not partake of it. Why? Because you've got the, the, you've got this uh, thing called the eye of faith, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Walking by faith and not by sight. If you walk by sight, the world's in a mess right now. But if you walk by faith, the king is coming. The king is coming. Hallelujah. And he's coming for who?
1: Amen. Okay, so let's read on. He said, "You'll see
0: it, but you won't partake of it. Why? Because if you don't believe it, you'll watch other people get blessed. If you, but you have to believe this." Elijah is saying. Elijah is saying, "Tomorrow, about this time, you mean that, that what what the what the what the the king's uh, uh, administrator was saying is." Even if the windows of the heaven are open, God can't change the world in 24 hours. Well, He built the whole thing in six days. I'm sure He could handle something in 24. T- what I'm, what are you saying? I'm saying that ex- you need to expect suddenly, suddenly in this world. If you know, how long? How long, God? Don't take how long out of your out of your conversation. There's no faith in how long. It's ah, I'm so excited, God. I'm rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm expecting a mighty move of the Spirit of God. and I see it now. I see it. I'm not waiting to see it, to seize it. I see it now. I see a brand new church building full of happy people. I mean, we were here for four years, but we lost some people just because of the the oldness of the building. Like if you were to talk to Jordy, Justin, and some of the other people that have looked underneath this building... Not to mention the
1: thirty-five hundred pound percolator out in the driveway, of the septic tank. <laughs> blah 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 blah. No, but we were going to buy it.
0: We were going to buy it. We offered the money for it, and then we, and then we realized, hey, you know, this building's over seventy years old.
1: And it's time to move into a new nice shiny place. Amen. Put an in the paper. Show you all faces. Coming soon to a neighborhood near you. Amen. Okay, so where was I? Chapter two. Yeah. So chap verse three.
0: There were four leprous men. Now, in my mind, it represents the incomplete gospel. It represents Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's the complete gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus. Like over in Mark chapter 2 and verse 3, where they, one born of four, and dropped him down in front of Jesus to complete the cycle, right? So there's all, ty- all kinds of types and shadows here. But I can see Jesus in all of this. There were four leprous men. And that's like, but that's like you right now
1: too. That as far as the world is concerned, you're nuts. You know, so four leprous men at the entering of the gate. They said to one another, it's good to be in a group. They said to one another, hey, why
0: should we sit here until we die? Why should I just wish and hope and wait for something to happen when I could be a part of the change that I could delight myself in him and get the desires of my heart that I I could ask of him, come on, Psalm two and verse nine, ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for an inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. He said, just ask me, well, why am I not getting it? Because you're not delighting yourself in the Lord. If you make God number one, not your family, not your career, not your home, all of those other things that we allow to distract us, I'm not condemning anybody for it. I know that after studying the scriptures, that especially in Luke chapter 21, that those distractions are real. But what are they? Distractions. To keep you from, if, you, if, if you'd only focus in on what he's, who he is, what he has, and what he can do.
1: Make your sots go up and down by themselves. Come on. Why shall we sit here until we die? If we say we'll go back into the the religious church, we'll die there.
0: (laughs) If we stay here outside, we'll die too. Now, therefore, come and let us fall upon the host of the Assyrians. If they save us alive, we'll live. And if they kill us, all, all that can happen is we'll die. The worst thing that can happen to you is you'll die. To be absent from the Lord is be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the worst thing that can happen to you today is you can go into the presence of the Lord. Duh. They rose up, and as soon as you rise up, you're walking in the supernatural soon as you rise up, you're in the supernatural. Matter of fact, when you speak, your, your words are supernatural. You're the only creator, creation, that can speak God's word. And he said, only by your words will you be justified. Think about it. Only by your words will you be justified. And only by your words will you be condemned. Doesn't matter what somebody else says about you. What are you saying about you? It didn't matter what... Tom Petty's father said about him. It's what he said about him that made the difference. Uh uh-huh. They rose up in the twilight to go to the camp of the Assyrians. And when they were come to the uttermost parts of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no one there. Hey, listen. The thing that you've been fearing. There's nobody there.
1: There's no one there. Boo.
0: A mouse with a microphone, yelling big nasty words at you. He shows himself on TV and in movies as this big scary guy. He's a mouse with a microphone. It's all fake. It's all bluff. He's a defeated foe.
1: A fallen angel. Matter of fact, he's... Well, we won't get into... We don't want to talk about him too much. He'd like it. Yeah. There was no one there.
0: Why? For the host the Lord of the Lord made the host of the Assyrians to hear a noise and chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great host, and they said to one another, Lo the king of Israel has hired uh, hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians, and they're come upon us. This thing happened again back in nineteen sixty seven in the six day war. Israel was totally surrounded by tanks and military tanks and things like that. And the Assyrians said afterwards, one guy that they interviewed said, I don't know, I don't know. He said, he said I was, we had them trapped. We were rolling in on them. And he said, then all of a sudden fear gripped me. He said, I flipped the lid on my tank and got out to run. He said, when I did, I looked and everyone else was doing the same thing. They abandoned their tanks and ran away. Some of this happened in Ukraine right now too. And God shows up and goes, boop, everybody goes, ah! (laughs) But think about it, a whole nation is saved
1: because some disabled, unqualified, crippled. They stopped making excuses.
0: They stopped making excuses even though they had the right to make them for obvious reasons. They stopped making excuses for themselves
1: and got up and did something. Mm-hmm. They were disabled, weak, messed up. But they, somewhere along the line, they realized that their quitting point and their breakthrough point is the same place.
0: It's always there. It's always there. What are you going to do? Not what's God going to do? He's already done it. He's already finished. He sat down at the right hand of God. We're expecting his enemies to be made his footstool. He's, he's seated. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to be, according to Ephesians 2.6, seated in heavenly places with him. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name is named No in this world, but that which is to come, placed all things under his feet, and I'm his body. I'm not his
1: head. I'm his body. Lots of leaders out there
0: trying to be his head. No, you're a better part of the body. And you are a part of the body. Matter of fact, when we read, when we pray Colossians chapter 3, he says, you're called to one body. Be thankful. So it's not us and them. We're not in competition against some church across town or anything like that. We pray for the success of every church that's in this city, county. Probably. We don't we don't get excited when somebody goes down. We get, we, we get down there with them and say, God, that we, that they might not believe exactly the same way that we do, but they represent you here on the earth. And so we lift them up. We pray for them today in Jesus' name. We don't disagree. We get together with what we agree on. So they decided to risk it all. And in verse 7, it says, they rose up the enemies rose up and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and the camp and fled, just, just ran for their lives. No, but picture your enemies doing the same thing. This is not just a, a, the thing that has been is the thing that'll be and there's nothing new under the sun. So if there's nothing new under the sun. This will happen in my day too. When these leopards entered the uttermost parts of the camp, they went to a an tent and said, man, I smell bacon. <laughs> Breakfast is cooking, man. Now remember, they hadn't eaten in a while either. They did eat and drink and carried out silver and golden raiment and went out and hid it. Isn't that what we do? <laughs> like God just rescued you, but now you're going to hide it and depend on it instead of him? went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent. This was a big party for them, just like a woman in the mall. I know I shouldn't have said it, but sometimes you don't, you have to live without a net. Yeah. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good tidings and we're holding our peace. If we tarry here till the morning, like some mischief might come upon us. Therefore, we need to go and tell the king's household. And so they did. And of course, we know what happened to the administrator, the king's administrator. He got trampled at the gate because he didn't, he didn't believe the word of God. You have to, you, you know, you need to see this. You need to believe this. You need to operate on, you need to trust him. Just get to know him well enough to trust him. Like, you know, Job said, if he kills me, I'd love him. Though he slays me, I love him. Job did a lot of bad things, but he held on to that, right? Okay, one more. Oh, yeah, it's only, oh, yeah, let's go to, let's go to um. Uh, 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel.
1: Chapter 22. Another. Could be a familiar
0: story. It is to me. When we read this, it's also a type of Jesus in the cave on the Mount of Olives. When you, when you go to the Mount of Olives, when you go to Israel, Jerusalem, you find out that Jesus never ever spent a night in Jerusalem. He always went over into a cave on the Mount of Olives. I don't know why he didn't spend a night in Jerusalem. I just know that he didn't do that. He always went out in the evening. And, and when you picture our Lord... In that cave, you picture somebody laughing and carrying on with the guys and having fun. Did you see how those Pharisees looked when we did that? Like, he, no, no, come on. He, he, enjo- he, in order for him to fulfill the law, he had to be prosperous and he had to be happy. But I thought he was a man of sorrow and
1: acquainted with grief. Yeah, at, at the cross. Yeah. He didn't
0: live that way. Okay, um, so David departed. Now this is this is an interesting thing too because David had wandered into Gath, um, carrying Goliath's sword. Goliath was from Gath, and here's David walking around. He had been so backslidden that he walked into Gath and carrying the man's sword. Somebody recognized him, and so he started to drool on himself because because they wouldn't have anything to do with a crazy man. So they kicked him out of the city, and that's how he ended up in the cave of Adullam. But how Jesus ended up in the cave of Adullam is they kicked him out of the city. How Jesus ended up in the kingdom in that place was because he he was rejected by his family and his friends and his brothers. And so the same, so let's look at it here. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren By the way, this is how every church starts. When his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they came to where he was. Well, that's already a problem. But then it says the three D people came. Those that were in distress, those that were discontented, and those that were in debt gathered themselves onto him, and he became captain over them. He had a church of 400 people. But that's why did they come? Because they were in debt, they were distressed, and they were discontented. If they had been contented and not distressed, everything, they, they'd have never come to the, to the cave of Adullam. You'd have never come into the kingdom of God if you hadn't been circular, you know, in, in some kind of a mess, right? So it says there was about 400 of them. I call them 3D people, distressed, in debt, and discontented. And again, when, when you look back, come on, we can look back at the church, and that's exactly how it started. Exactly. Everybody would fit into that category. Nobody came in all shiny and clean. They came in because they were hurting and broke, right? So then at that time, David wrote Psalm 34, which is where I'm going to close today. Because David had these 400 men, and they were focusing on debt, discontentment, and distress. He had to change what they were looking at. Jesus came to change what you're looking at. Don't be conformed to this world or informed by this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind by the word of God, that you can prove the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God for your life. If you're not happy today, you're focused on the wrong thing. If you're not happy today, you're focused on the wrong people. And some of those people, you got to let them go anyway.
1: You got to love them, but you don't have to like them enough to go camping with them.
0: No, some, some people are for a season, some people are for a lesson, but you don't stop loving people. You just, you just know that there are some people that I cannot allow access in my life because they use my ear as a garbage can and then they go away feeling much better and they dumped all that stuff on me and now they're gone to find somebody else to dump the same stuff because that's, that's the whole deal is they get happy dumping stuff. It's kind of like a gossip. The only people that listen to gossip are gossipers.
1: It's true. The only people that listen to it are gossipers. And they get itchy for it. Tell me something. Tell me me, something. No,
0: you need to clean up your own backyard. Anyway. Reach that, Gary. Okay. But chapter 34 is what he taught them in the cave of Adullam. And look, this is the first thing he said to them. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, this, for those of you that don't know, this is what they called an acrostic psalm. Twenty-two verses, each one beginning with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's a meaning and then there's a double meaning. There's a deeper meaning, but just knowing this, he said, and I'm not going to get into that or ever try to teach it again. I taught it a few years ago. I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. The proud will hear it and get mad. I'm so glad that you told me to praise you. I humble myself under your mighty hand that you'd exalt me in due time. Look at this, verse 3. Don't magnify your debt. Don't magnify your discontentment. Don't magnify your distress. I'm going to get you out of this if you'll just do what I'm saying here. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. His name. I sought the Lord and there was nobody home. No, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. They looked unto him, and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. We'll stop there. They looked on him, and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. You look on him. Let go of all shame, guilt, condemnation. Look on him. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured this cross and despised the shame of it. He went to the cross knowing that he was going to be reduced to human rubble and hang on a tree. That I could look back and remember what he did for me. So that when I'm going through struggles, whether they be physical or spiritual or whatever, I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I also know that I need to keep the bit in the horse's mouth. You get tired of trying to turn the horse by yourself. Trying to pick up that 1,500-pound animal. I don't care. Maybe it's healing that has to do with that. You can apply that to every area of your life. If you put the bit in the, in the horse's mouth, you'll turn that big circumstance around. If you put the rudder, I think the interesting thing about the rudder in the ship is it's underwater, just like your tongue. It'll, and then it says, even though there's fierce winds, it'll turn wherever the rudder aims it. So you might be in fierce winds right now, but God is saying, I can turn it. If you just turn the rudder, if you just put the bit in the horse's mouth and get up out of there and stop trying to lift that big horse, calling all your friends and getting them to try and help you too. We did it for two, three years at the church. It was so wrong, but we... No, but I believe that if you take this and learn from it, that our mistake will turn into your miracle, you know? Get it today. Remember that I'm not going to turn the horse. I'm going to put the bit on the horse's mouth. Put some pressure on my tongue and turn the deal around. So put some pressure on your tongue and I'm done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca.